What's the longest you've waited to hear back from someone? A month? Six months? A year? After the smash success of his 2000 album Voodoo, fans of D'Angelo might have expected it would only be a year or two before this musician at the height of his fame and ability would return with another album. Instead, they were left waiting nearly 15 years. Voodoo had made D'Angelo a superstar, a sex symbol strewn across magazine covers and music videos, but the man born Michael Eugene Archer was becoming more and more uncomfortable with his newfound fame. He could no longer tell whether the fans in the audience were there for his music or his body, and he retreated to his home in Richmond, Virginia stripped of his confidence. Things wouldn't improve at home. He developed a drinking problem, and as his alcoholism escalated, Virgin Records cut funding for his next album. He cut ties with Virgin, his manager, his attorney, and his girlfriend in short order, and by 2005 was checking himself into rehab. And then, for the most part, silence. Before we knew it, it was 2014, and D'Angelo was only a distant memory from the 90s, an answer to a trivia question. But on November 24th, a grand jury decided not to indict a Ferguson, Missouri police officer in the shooting of African-American man Michael Brown. And when he heard the news, D'Angelo called his manager, Kevin Lyles. He whispered through the phone, Do you believe this? Do you believe it? And then he sat in silence. He knew what he had to do. On December 15th, 2014, just a month before the 15th anniversary of Voodoo, D'Angelo released Black Messiah. It would win the Grammy for Best R&B Album, receive rave reviews from critics around the globe, and just quietly, it's also one of my favourite albums. Which is why I had no idea that another album came out that exact same day in December. As it turns out, Nicki Minaj released her third studio album, The Pink Print, that day, which would go on to sell five times as many copies. It's a pink and black attack this week as we have the sex symbol of the 90s clashing with the sex symbol of the 2010s. Who's coming out on top? Let's find out. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. Judd Boas with you, joined by my co-host Pedro Duran. Pedro, what is happening? Not much, Judd. Just living the dream. Living the dream, hoping I never wake up. It is freezing cold right now here in Melbourne. We had a, a polar blast, is what they call it. Yeah, it's crazy. A polar blast, yeah. It's uh, super nuts. It sounds like a kind of chewing gum, doesn't it? But apparently... Dude, I was some... just going to say that. It, but hey, coming this Friday, Saturday, apparently 27 degrees. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit for all our um, North American listeners, but it's sun's out, gun's out weather. That's what I'm talking. We'll be sharing a beer together. This is a very near and dear episode to my heart because we're covering one of my favorite albums of all time. Can you guess which one it is out of these two? I think it's the D'Angelo one because I know you're a massive D'Angelo fan. Correct. Both of these albums came out December 15th, 2014. Pedro, what do you know about Nicki Minaj and what do you know about D'Angelo as artists? Yeah, I mean, well, in regards to Nicki, I mean, she's a massive superstar in the rap world and also in the pop world. I mean, there's no escaping her, no un, uh, denying her talent and her um, her uh, influence on, on pop culture. She's just um, coming out with banging songs, interesting music videos, and her uh, her look, too, is um, uh, very appealing. And then um, in regards to D'Angelo, 
I mean, D'Angelo's always been, you know, around putting on music. I mean, most famously, his music video for uh, How Does It Feel. I remember that when I was growing up. And um, um, I always enjoyed his feature on the Method Man song, uh, Make Up to Breakups. I thought it was, I think that's one of my, that's one of my favorite songs. I have that on my personal playlist. So, um, yeah. But I, I wanted to ask you, like, well, how do you know D'Angelo? Because... You very you uh, have a very uh, uh, dark sensibility when it comes to <laughs> dark to sensibility. Music, yeah, well, you know, it's like I, I also yeah, like you you're really into some like you know urban black culture music and. As far as, uh, and it's for an Aussie guy. <laughs> what you're going to say is I'm like the whitest guy in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, well, no, <laughs> but, but, no, what I mean is before an Australian dude, like you have a significantly high amount of black friends <laughs> that I've been with, <laughs> guys that you introduced me to, you know what I mean? Because I've, I've been living here for five years and I'm just like, oh yeah, cool, you know what I mean? So, um, um, yeah, because yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the thing is, the other day somebody asked, they was like, oh yeah, they were comparing the US to America and they were like, you know, at least I mean, Australia doesn't have black on black crime. And I was like, well, there's no black people there, that's why, you know, so. <laughs> Statistically. Um, Captain Cook killed them all, so, but, um, but yeah, how do you, or how are you familiar with D'Angelo? You know, I've never considered my, my music uh, to be a dark sensibility, but I guess you're right, because I do. And I understand, like, this, this album especially, it's called Black Messiah, for fuck's sake, you know, right? It's like a very African-American political charged album. But I don't know, man, it just speaks to me, maybe in a past life. I'm a, I'm a brother from another mother. I don't know. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, how does it how does it appeal to me? I remember the the day it came out because at the end of 2014, me and my friend Fletcher, we would do this dumb thing where we compile our like best albums of the year and we send it to each other. This album came out and it just blew every other album on the list out. It was like this is an amazing, amazing album. Surprise drop. No one knew it was coming. Surprisingly, the Pink Print didn't blow any albums out, but we'll get to that later. And it just it just really appealed to me from the first listen. It just appealed to me and it just became one of my favorite albums. And I'd listened to Voodoo and Brown Sugar, his previous two albums, but this one just hit the spot and I can't say why. As for Nicki Minaj, I know how, her, how everyone else knows her, you know, Super Bass, Starships, stuff like that. I, but I remember the, the very first time I even heard her voice was Dark Fantasy, the start of Kanye West's album where she's doing like a British accent. You have it. The real one's far too mean. The watered down one, the one you know, was made up centuries ago. And she's unrecognizable. She sounds nothing like her actual voice. And then later on in that album, she has Monster, which is one of the best guest verses of all time. Maybe the best, one of the rap verses, period, of all time. To the point where Kanye West considered leaving her off the album. You know, when I thought about taking Nicki's verse off of Monster, because I knew people would say that was the best verse on the best hip-hop album of all time, or arguably top ten albums of all time, right? Mm -hmm. And I would do all that work. Eight months of work on Dark Fantasy, and people to this day would say to me, Oh, my favorite thing was Nicki Minaj verse. Uh, and he decided not to, obviously, and history was made. I will say this, and I don't know if it's inappropriate to say or if, you know, hip-hop heads will get angry, but I think Nicki Minaj is one of the best female rappers of all time. I think she's up there with Missy Elliott and Left Eye and Remy Ma and, you know, MC Light and all these, all these people. I think she holds her own, and I think her legacy will, you know, people will look back. People aren't going to fucking remember Iggy Azalea. I certainly hope they don't. But people are going to remember Nicki Minaj and the impact she had. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm in, in agreement with you. She's definitely up there as far as female rappers. Um, and, and it's not 
just the rap skill. It's also it's just the whole package. She's just um, carved um, something out for herself, whether it be this Barbie persona that she has with her with her with her fans, um, the wildness of her uh, her look, her music videos, the way she can switch up the flow, whether it's kind of, um, you know, just kind of that New York rap style, and then she turns into uh, Roman, which is, you know, her alter ego, where she goes a little uh, crazy. But then she also sings, which she actually does on this album a lot. She's definitely up there. I mean, she's mentioned on the al- on this album as well. She says, you know, who had Eminem on her first album, and she's um, aligned herself with people like Lil Wayne and Drake to uh, definitely uh, help her career. Well, let's get into it, man. It's time for the track by track. This first song on the album for the Pink Print, Nicki Minaj, All Things Go, not what I expected. The persona that she has, that that Barbie persona, that thing of, you know, brightly colored, you think of songs like Starships, you think of songs like Super Bass, really bright, poppy, or really brash, um, like a song coming up later, Anaconda. This is so mellow and so down-tempo and, dare I say, tasteful. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something that Nicki Minaj gets, you know, tied in with? Not very often, I assume. No, yeah. This song is detailing the breakup with longtime boyfriend Safari Samuels. Now, they would have broken up, like, months before this album comes out. They'd been dating since 2006. They finally broke up, and this is a little bit of a breakup album, at least at the start, where she's detailing it and showing a sensitive side that we don't usually get from Nicki Minaj. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I thought it was really really dope i mean she's basically vetting uh her personal life on this track to quote eminem she's cleaning out her closet in this song right and so far i thought it was a good strong opener and um in reference to jay-z's blueprint i mean with jay-z's blueprint that album is critically acclaimed for being super personal and super introspective and if she's going for that same type of vibe um uh so far so good with this opening track but it's also interesting because so they've been dating since at this point since 2006 who was Nicki minaj in 2006 she was nobody she was she was just a random so he's with her all through that and all of a sudden she's the most famous most recognizable woman in the pop world that's gonna affect their relationship he said quote i just got to the point where the respect wasn't there everyone around her works for her it got to the point where it was like i'm your man i'm who you go to sleep with every night i'm who you wake up with every morning and it got to the point where i was being treated like an employee instead of like her man so he felt like the fame's going to her head and she's becoming too controlling and demanding. You know, she started life as Onika Tanya Maraj and now she's Nicki Minaj. She's changed since 2006. So he felt like their relationship couldn't survive it and it didn't survive it. Yeah, I thought this was a really surprising and really refreshing song because I was expecting just her screaming rap at the mic for an hour straight. So I was so pleased. We're talking about relationships breaking down. You contrast it with the opening track on D'Angelo's Black Messiah, Ain't That Easy. This is a fucking massive opener. It's groovy, it's soulful, it's talking about the disintegration of a relationship, and at first he's really insistent and controlling with the lyrics. He's like, you can't leave me, it ain't that easy. You need the comfort of my love and to bring out the best in you, which is like a sort of controlling, abusive relationship. 
gets to the bridge and he he confesses that actually like I need the comfort of your loving. He flips the lyrics and saying like he's begging her to stay. And it's just such a great song, man. I love that. I love this album, but I love this opener. It gets me in the mood for it every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with this, uh, yeah, I thought it was dope, especially um the bluesy kind of sound comparing it to Nicki's album or Nicki's opener. It's not as polished as Nicki's album, which I thought was which was fine. You know, um, I think that's very much indicative of his style. You know, I always imagined D'Angelo being very much an artist that it would be amazing to see live. You know, the curtains open up and this song comes up and it's just so heavy with with the with the blues aspect, the blues sound. I think it would be um, a, a spectacle to see. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it ain't ain't that easy because it's this, uh, the song about not wanting his lover to leave him and and not having this person walk away it's not that easy to to do that so yeah that was uh super interesting yeah but you're right it is this whole album is very rough and sort of jagged and distorted i think by design i do think by design but you compare it to Nicki minaj this is like a cash money records production metro Boomin on the track mike will made it on the track like this is the crispest most saccharine like beyonce produces the track that's how like pop this is yeah exactly right? yeah no i was gonna say yeah it's interesting because it went as we go through it there's a lot of people producing or on uh, contributing to Nicki's album and compared to D'Angelo, where I think it's just D'Angelo, maybe Q-Tip, maybe Questlove here and there. So um, Yeah, yeah, but he writes all of it. and Yeah, yeah exactly, so, which is a big difference between the two albums. <laughs> Speaking of people involved, um, the next song, I Lied. Did you read this, her interview with V Magazine, where she says, one of the biggest influences for the album was Enya? No, I didn't see that at all. Fucking what? Ex- excuse me? What? Enya, Enya, Enya. You know, Enya from our episode five. Enya, Enya. Yes, that Enya. A war criminal. <laughs> Check out episode five to get that reference, everybody. She says, quote, There are two records early in the album where the airiness and whimsicalness remind me of Enya, and I sort of crafted it thinking about her and the way her music makes me feel. Nicki Minaj and Enya is the weirdest pairing I have ever heard. But you definitely hear it on the show, because this has that whimsical, ambient, soulful thing. Again, I lied, did not expect this from Nicki Minaj, and this is going to sound mean, who am I to say it, but I didn't think she had it in her. Oh, really? Wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, with these songs, I, I, like it's it's it is different. I, I to be honest, I, I a lot of times I'm not feeling the songs where she's just singing all the time. I, I really appreciate her raps it, it, when she balances as well, and, and we're gonna go through it. Like there's songs that I think she does a better job at uh, at, at at singing. Yeah, and then so similar vibe. And I noticed that the, the album's quite compartmentalized like this, but a similar vibe on the next track, The Crying Game, which features a hook from Jessie Ware, who is criminally underrated. She is a wonderful artist, and she released a great album this year, actually, called What's Your Pleasure? Check it out, everyone. Uh, like she needs me to do her PR. But I also thought the The Crying Game was great, too, and... Yeah, like Nikki has bars and the hook's great. I, I really liked it. Yeah, so she has um, some some great lyrics. Um, I like the, the the rhymes where she goes. You ain't play your cards right. You had the ace of clubs. Hit you with the ace of spade in your face and shrugs. Blood dripping out your arm on my Asian rugs. We was just planning a wedding, Caucasian doves. You was just telling your... So, yeah, I get it. Like, white doves and stuff like that. But, you know, in my mind, my demented mind, like, I, I, I went and started thinking about Caucasian dove <laughs> arguing with a group of crows that all birds lives matter <laughs> 
So that's just the way I think. But in reality, yeah, it's uh, it's some dope rhymes. I really think she's a talented rapper. You know, um, hopefully she's writing her rhymes and stuff. And she's she's a talented singer. And like as we go on, when she is able to um, combine them, I think that's where she really excels. Heading back to D'Angelo's thing, man, this track, A Thousand Deaths, as I said, end of year list, this blew us all out. Because when this track came on, I knew it was going to be one of my favorite tracks. I mean, like that from the opening sample of Khalid Abdul Muhammad, who was a former Nation of Islam spokesman and new Black Panther Party chairman. It has this this vocal sample, and I don't even need to read it off the page. I can do it verbatim. When I'm talking about Jesus, I'm not talking about some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, pale-skinned... It captures it because not only is this a very political album, spoiler alert, this is a highly political album, it also captures that like down south preacher magic of gospel music that gives it so much energy. And then underneath this Khalid Abdul Muhammad sample, there's another sample by Fred Hampton, who was deputy leader of the Black Panthers and is sort of reiterating the Malcolm X by any means necessary speech. And he's advocating that we all got to fight against all these oppressors and stuff. And actually, Fred Hampton was assassinated by the tactical arm of the Cook County, Illinois State Attorney's Office when he was 21 back in 1969, because he was an activist for black rights and stuff. And he was dangerous, apparently. So they killed him. And of course, uh, the officers involved in planning and executing Hampton's assassination were cleared of any wrongdoing by a grand jury. So um, very topical as you can imagine. Even you look at the front cover of this album, uh, Black Messiah, it's not it's not his body like it is on Voodoo. On Voodoo, it's a shirtless photo of himself as the album cover. He's changed his outlook in the past 14 years so heavily, where now it's at a protest and you've got Fist throwing up the Black Power symbol and stuff. So obviously a very different style and message in this album compared to what what was happening before because of the the killings of Trayvon Martin and and Mike Brown he was encouraged to release it early he felt like the only way he could act out and speak about issues was through his music so he decided to release this album early in order to send a message to the world so this song you know the first song was it was a love song or a breakup song this is A lot of what the album's going to be about, it is powerful. The lyrics, they say a coward dies a thousand times, but a soldier only dies the once, so we have to fight. You know, he's saying we have to stand up and actually fight and riot and and fight for our rights. Um, One of my favourite tracks of all time. If you didn't like it, you can just say, but I'm going to end the call in that case. (laughs) Well, I think you might have to end the call, man, because the thing about it is, like, Listen, I, I, I love what the message is all about. I really do enjoy the opening sermon, but I did not like the, the way it was delivered. It's just heavily distorted lyrics. It ha- I had a really hard time trying to decipher what he was saying, and it makes up the majority of the song. And, um, and my interpretation was I, the cacophony of the music is meant to convey the turmoil that's happening in, in, um, uh, in, 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 you know, current events, but I was not necessarily feeling it. It could, I felt like it could have been executed better. Um, and I know I, I, you know, I, it might be going for a very artsy abstract approach, but sometimes some art when it's too abstract, it's not enjoyable. So for myself, I, I, I didn't like the track. But it just sounds so good, man. I understand. Yeah, the message is continued on in the next song, The Charade, 
with lyrics like, All we wanted was a chance to talk, instead we only got outlined in chalk, which is a baller line, by the way. D'Angelo said about this, It just shows how ongoing the shit is, because I wrote that even before the Trayvon Martin thing happened. It's crazy we're still in the streets protesting the same shit. That song was just about the state of society in general. When I say a chance to talk, that means a chance to come to the table and exercise rights that are supposed to be ours already. The reference to the charade is this charade that we're all equal or that we have equal rights. I think he's referencing that it is a charade, at least in his life in America. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely understood that. See, with this, see, compared to the last song, like this song, I, f- I felt a lot more, even with the name, uh, the the title of the track, and also with that lyric. You know, um, we just, you know, we just want to talk, and now we get outlined with chalk. Um, so I, I was definitely feeling it a lot, lot, a lot more. But once again, sometimes I feel I don't know if it's is his singing style. Sometimes when he's so falsetto, he's so high up there in the notes that it's some yeah very high yeah, yeah that sometimes it's just hard for me to really understand what he's saying or what he's trying to interpret. That was the only real criticism I have. I mean, the musicality is great, and I really enjoy the instrumentation of the song. Man, if you didn't like those ones, I shudder to think as we get further into this album. You know, one of my favorite albums of all time. How are we gonna? Let's go back to Nicki Minaj. Let's go back to the Pink Print with Get On Your Knees. This is a feature from Ariana Grande, actually. And I think her hooks are actually some of the weakest on the album so far. Previously, it was either Jessie Ware in in The Crying Game or it was Nicki doing her own hooks, which is weird because sometimes I couldn't tell it was Nicki because she sounds so different when she's rapping to when she's singing. She sounds much more, uh, I guess, feminine when she's doing hooks. Ariana Grande, they've collabed, like, Many, many, many times now, but I would say this is their weakest collaboration so far. They have much better songs than this. They got Side to Side, they got uh, Bed, which is another great song. The Light is Coming, produced by Pharrell Williams. I really like that song. Um, so it's a shame this isn't one of the best. Get on your knees, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on this one. They have, they have better songs. Side to Side, I think I have that on my personal playlist. I really enjoy that. And just you bringing it up right now reminded me, oh, yeah, Nicki Minaj is on that song. Um, yeah, for a, a, a couple that uh, goes well together, um, uh, for whatever reason, the magic isn't really there on this song. Um, it's, it is definitely one of the weakest uh, songs on the album. Did you? I was curious, did you see in the, in the notes that I've, Katy Perry has um, some writing credit on this song. I don't know what was that about. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was supposed to be Katy Perry on the song, and she just didn't have time, or they couldn't work it out. Um, so Ariana jumped on it instead. Um, and then I guess Nikki got her back with "Swish Swish" when she featured on Katy Perry's thing. Yeah, but again, like, this, this is the peak of, like, pop royalty, so including the next track, you got Beyonce on it, and this was a very popular song, Feeling Myself, Beyonce helped write it and, and produce it, and they, you know, collaborated again. Um, it's also written by SZA, who is, who, you know, blossomed to fame a couple of years after this album came out as well. But I don't get it, man. I don't get this song. And maybe it's just because I actually dislike Beyonce quite a bit. I don't fucking get this song, man. It does nothing for me. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I was listening to this and it's it's funny. I think a lot of times when an artist gets Beyonce on the song, I mean, it's Beyonce. She, you know, she's a massive superstar. Um, and it's a thing of like, oh, we got Beyonce. It's going to be a hit. And she has her really massive, strong followers that, that love everything that she does. But I found the hook to be a little annoying. I was going through my mental Rolodex and trying to think about other songs that Beyonce has been on as a feature. 
And I feel like sometimes she might take away from a song because, I don't know, it's just sometimes it just comes off lazy. There's nothing there. A lot of, especially like a hip hop song like this, where she's not really belting or singing, she's just kind of vocalizing. Uh, the lyrics to the music and it's just I don't know man it's just not bringing anything like super super ecstatic to uh, to the track Change the game with that digital drop know where you was when that digital popped I stopped the world male or female it make no difference I stopped the world world stop carry on especially because SZA wrote her lyrics you know she didn't write them so it's just a very it could be anyone singing this I totally get it uh, not for me and back to D'Angelo you have Sugar Daddy. Sugar Daddy is the first song where I get the feeling it was recorded much earlier. Like, this was recorded in the, like, closer to the 90s than today. It's been 14 years since his previous album, and this album was supposed to come out in, like, 2002. It's been mooted for years and years, never eventuated. Uh, he began work in 2002 on the album, and he wanted to play all the instruments, like Prince, so he's gonna, you know, spend ages and years and years doing it. He had the drug arrest and rehab in 2005, and then in 2007, D'Angelo's drummer and producer, we've mentioned from The Roots, Questlove, was on Triple J in Australia, and he actually leaked a track called Really Love, which is a little bit later, and it's this, you know, little jam, and he leaked it back in 2007. So that was a song already seven years before the album comes out. And because he leaked it, it actually soured their relationship and it stalled the album even more. In 2009, D'Angelo's then-manager, Lindsay Guion, Guion? I don't know, revealed plans for a new album, including collaborations with Prince, Kanye West, Busta Rhymes, John Mayer, none of whom are on the album, by the way, but this is, two, this is 2009. And he, there's a summer tour. He says he's ready to co- connect with the fans. He's coming back. 2009. That was five years ago. In early 2010, A Thousand Deaths gets leaked, so that's a four-year-old song. In 2011, Russell Elevado, the producer, updated everyone, and he's like, yeah, we're finishing cutting the tracks for the upcoming album. We are officially making our way to finishing this record. I don't need to tell everyone that this will be an amazing record, and D'Angelo fans will be happy to know the wait will soon be over, and it will be a future classic. This was in 2011, so we're still three years before the release of the album. And then December that year, Questlove, and they reunited at this point said the album was 97% done and D'Angelo was finishing the lyrics now and then three years of radio silence and then a surprise it just drops December 2014 and no one sees it coming but as I said this song Sugar Daddy is reminiscent he could have written this in 2002 he could have written it in 2008 he could have written it the night before 2014 we don't know it's a 14 year odyssey to get this album out what do you think of Sugar Daddy yeah yeah I, I, I did enjoy the song I thought it was kind of like um throwback to his earlier work you know super funky um it's interesting that you you mentioned all those people that he meant to have on the album and then for whatever reason it just didn't happen and it just goes down it comes down to just q-tip d'angelo and um some other couple of people putting the album together which i think which is probably a lot more necessary at that point of his life you know what i mean I, i was reading the research that he had become dissatisfied with his sex symbol status, right? And he wanted to um, just kind of change it up and I guess, you know, use his voice for something something else. We get to a bit of a posse track on Nicki Minaj's album after this um, with Only. It's a cash money production. You got Lil Wayne on it. You got Drake on it. Drake's verse on this is this a this is quite a famous verse for me at least because it's one of the funniest verses I've ever heard where he sings... Yeah, wait, where he raps. 
Yeah, that's right. I like my girls BBW. Yeah, the type that want to suck you dry and then eat some lunch with you. Yeah, so thick that everybody else in the room is so uncomfortable. I love <laughs> It's so funny. It's We've transitioned to a different part of the album, so the sound has drastically changed. This is Nicky going really hood, and you've got two other huge rappers at the time on, on the track. This is a big, you know, hood track. Hey there guys, Judd here from the podcast. As many of you may know, we're based in Melbourne, Australia, COVID-19 capital of the world. And as a result of that, we do all of our episodes remotely via digital means, and sometimes the internet doesn't cooperate. As a result of that, we did lose a couple minutes off of this episode due to technical difficulties where some of the songs we discussed weren't recorded. If you want to know our opinion on that song, why not just ask us? You can head to our Instagram, When Albums Collide, and slide into our DMs. We also have a Facebook page and an email, When Albums collide at gmail.com. Hit us up wherever you so choose. We love hearing from you guys. Rate, like, subscribe us. On with the episode. Welcome back to When Albums Collide. We're reviewing D'Angelo and the Vanguard's Black Messiah with Nicki Minaj's The Pink Print, which both came out on exactly the same day in 2014. The next track on Black Messiah, Back to the Future Part 1. Fuck yes. Love this, love this song, love it to death. Such a nice groove, such a nice beat to it. Questlove can honestly do no wrong, as far as I'm concerned. He has that, I mentioned it in the Erica Badu episode, where his drum roll sounds a bit like rain at the start of the song. One particular lyric jumped out to me, um, and it's a reference to what we were discussing, D'Angelo being very uncomfortable with being sexualized. You know, because he has so many famous videos where he's just showing off his abs and his sculpted physique and he's a rig, absolute rig of a human being. He's very uncomfortable with that. And so he even has the lyrics where he's like, if you're wondering, wondering about the shape I'm in, hope it ain't my abdomen you're referring to. So he's really uncomfortable or he became uncomfortable with being a sex symbol instead of an artist. Which is ironic because we're comparing him to Nicki Minaj, who is the sex symbol, at least in 2014. She is the pinnacle of the male gaze, quote-unquote. So I'm just going to ask you simple question. Do you find Nicki Minaj attractive? Um, fuck. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I mean, yeah, why not? I mean, she puts herself out there, you know, and I'm sure if she were to uh, walk into the room, I'm sure there's enough uh, plastic on that body to at least fool me. <laughs> I find her attractive in the same way that I find, like, Jessica Rabbit attractive, or I find the Venus de Milo attractive, or, you know, Babylonian fertility idols attractive. It's so artificial and manufactured that it doesn't feel real. Like, if she were to walk into the room, I would expect her actual real-life body to also be airbrushed, you know? She has had a lot of work done, right? Like, her hair alone has been straightened, bleached, coloured, cropped, cut every which way. She's got the implants, both breast and butt. She's probably had her lips done, airbrushed within an inch of her life. She is the peak of this pop culture wave of, you know, like, the curvaceous woman with a big butt. Like, I think people in 20 or 30 years will look back and say, wow, that's what people found attractive? But she's, like, the, the apex of that. That being said, I think she's hot as fuck, and I'd crawl through a mile of broken glass on my hands and knees to sniff her farts, so what of it, you know? Like, <laughs> it's fine. Um, but, ha- like, how do you feel about the sexualization of both these artists? I mean, well, that's a, just a, that's just a normal thing in the music industry, right? I mean, um, or just entertainment 
in general. Um, I think most people are going to be put up on a pedestal um, to be a sex symbol. I mean, I, I think about someone who's the most unsexiest musician who's Ed Sheeran, basically. I'll see videos of him, and he actually has girlfriends in the music video that are way hot. And I'm like, there's no way in real life that girl's really into that guy if he wasn't Ed Sheeran. I don't know. I think I think he would pull girls. Though. Really? Just by the virtue of being very talented. Ah, but, it, okay, but that's what I mean. Because, that's because he's Ed Sheeran. But what I'm thinking... I mean, yeah, but he, he looks like he fell out of the ugly tree and he hit every branch on the yeah, way down. Yeah, he looks like a hobbit, you know? So if he was just a hobbit dude with no talent, like there's no way those girls would be into him. With uh, artists like uh, Nicky and D'Angelo, I, th- I think it's just part of it. It has, it has to be. I mean, it's it's harder, especially nowadays, for a female rapper to not be sexualized. I mean, look at who's the hottest female rapper out right now is Cardi B, right? And she has a song that's massive and it's <laughs> about a wet ass pussy. I mean, it's just, it's just. I think it's just part of it. It's just, um, I don't know. I wonder what's gonna happen to Nicky in in you know fifty years when all that stuff starts drooping you know what i mean it's funny because <laughs> she'll just get it re re-injected um it's funny because even like the traditionally unattractive ladies are still sexualized like lizzo mm-hmm. is probably not conventionally attractive but she's still overtly sexualized mm-hmm. again and again maybe as a body positivity thing mm-hmm. that being said i find the talent is often the the deciding factor in how attracted i am to them because if it's a choice between cardi b and Nicki minaj cardi b sucks she sucks so bad she can't rap she can't sing she can't do it. She can barely speak a sentence. Um, Nicki Minaj is so much more talented, so she's so much more attractive to me. Yeah, like, the the sexualization is massive, and obviously D'Angelo has tried to downplay it in this album, whereas Nicki, this is the peak of her sexualization, with a song coming up a little bit later we will discuss. Before we get to it, though, a couple more tracks on Nicki's album, Four Door Aventador. I've been pretty meh on the beat so far, which is weird, because... Huge producers. As I said, Mike Will made it, Metro Boomin, alleged sex offender Dr. Luke. There's a big, these are big producers. But this four-door Aventador is just some no-name producer called Parker Igile, or Igil. Um, she signed him to the record label herself. And I love this beat. This beat is awesome. Really simple. But I, I really like the beat on this song. Yeah, but you, you know what I thought about this? Well, I like this song uh, a lot as well. It, it's funny because I forget Nikki is from uh, New York, right? And when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, she is from New York. And you know what? She kind of sounds like Biggie Smalls on this track, you know? Like, I can imagine this being a Tori's B.I.G. song in 95 with the beat, just the flow, the subject matter. It's a little more laid back. Um, it's not definitely not like a pop record like Super Bass or something like that. So um, I think she was able to um, hearken to something like that to draw inspiration from because, yeah, I totally thought... Biggie, Biggie Smalls on this on this track, which is a shame because you got you got the next couple tracks do nothing for me like favorite buy a heart Meek Mill's on it. I don't see the appeal of Meek Mill. Never have. I don't. I, they, did you have anything for these tracks? I think these are very skippable filler tracks on a very long album. Yeah, I agree. Your favorite with um, is it Jeremiah or whatever? Um, yeah, Jared Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, I've never I've never been really like a super big fan of him at all. Um, I think he has a song called Down on Me. It was like. Birthday sex. I oh think yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, yeah, and by and by a heart. Yeah, these were the ones that 
this is where the album for myself was just like okay it's kind of slowing down i can do i can do without them um I'm, i think it was i think they were seeing each other or there were rumors that they were seeing each other so she, you know she's gonna get the guy she's seeing on her album yeah get on the album Mick Mill. oh yeah no they were they were dating so that's uh they, that's a uh, uh, it's a probably a reason as to why you know he was on there for sure so i mean it was a long thing standing thing because drake and meek mills had like a rap beep and he threw drake threw shots at him pretty hardcore he was like is that uh a world he goes are you on are you on a world tour or are you on your girls tour you know implying that um nikki was much bigger star than meek mill was which she is and will remain to be so (laughs) yeah definitely just want to wrap things up on this sort of segment of the album with trinidad girls which is the first trinidadian flavor i guess of her heritage to the music she doesn't lean on this at all as much as say uh, Rihanna or Drake were at this time of that dance hall sound, but this is very pop as well. Also, we talked a little bit earlier in the review about um, talking about uncomfortably thick, like you're so thick it makes everyone uncomfortable. The guy that's doing the hook on this, Lunch Money Lewis, that is a dude that is uncomfortably thick. Like you watch him in music videos and he's just struggling to do hand gestures, like he can't dance. That even doing hand gestures looks a little bit like exhausting for him. Really, Lunch Money Lewis has not been missing many lunches at all. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, did you have anything for Trinity M Girls? Um, n- no, I thought yeah, it's um very much um what's happening now, like the Caribbean styles. Um, it's it's almost a thing that you have to add on. You know, like we've we done a, a bunch of episodes with like pop 90s albums where they have to put in that Latin song. Like the Caribbean dancehall song is what that was now. You know what I mean? And I think maybe it was made popular by Drake. I think he designed a whole album around that type of sound. But um, yeah, it was just, it's just, it's like a, a track that you need to put in nowadays, it seems like. Yeah, 100%. D'Angelo's album Till It's Done 2-2 uh, I, another song I just love love this track um, again about the, the fight for for equal rights and we can't stop until it's done really nice really nice beat to this one I think the drumming is exemplary all across this album because Questlove's on the drums um, and just a real driving groovy beat once again I'm sure D'Angelo is a great live musician and this sounds like a great jam session to be a part of that being said, <laughs> no, that's what I'm just saying. I mean, it's just when, like, I, like I'm not trying to be, uh, the, I'm not trying to be negative, but I probably did not feel this album as much as you do. And oh, I can already tell. I mean, I'm, dude, I, dude, I'm, I'm a semi right now, just thinking about those songs. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, it's just I understand. It was like, like the music is fine, but it's just like, you know what? I probably would enjoy this if it was live or in a different context. If I'm, if it was just sitting at home listening to, um, listening to it on my headphones or even think about it, like, I think if I was on the, uh, on the commute, I don't know if I would really dig it. I feel like this album has a time and a place for it just on my headphones or in the commute or listening on the radio. It's just not that, not that air, not that place. If I was in a poetry cafe, sure. I'm sure this, nah, man. this album would be awesome. My commute every morning, walking down Tuck Hing Street, getting on the train, this in the earbuds back in 2014. This was the shit, man. I, I think the distortion is an acquired taste, but I also think it is very intentional. It is an intentional artistic choice because the next song, Prayer, I love the audio texture of the song. And yes, I know how fucking wanky that sounds. Yeah, the lyrics are hard to discern, but especially in this song... It sounds like the the track is skipping a little bit. 
he's cut out words, and it's like you're you're listening through a wireless radio, and your signals your signals dropping out, or you listen to a record that's scratched and and skipping words. And to complement it, Questlove is doing this this drum beat that he calls drunk drumming, where he's he, the drums are offbeat, and it, he's trying to catch up to the to the lyrics. It's this sleepy drunk groove, but you have that that riff and that bass line. Do do. Do do carrying through it. Oh man, prayer! I love this song. Yeah, that's a, that's super interesting that you were able to vocalize it like that because I picked it up, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was. I, I did notice something was, I, I guess, off, right? Um, and I and I do like the instrumentation of this uh, of this song, and I love the the heart snare that they use and the church bell. I don't know if you noticed that the way that they yeah used, the church bell yeah, yeah yeah that was that was really dope. So um, I did appreciate appreciate uh this song uh a lot and i thought it was one of the better tracks on the album let's get to the, the pop segment of Nicki minaj's album the big single this is the big single anaconda oh yeah so and I rem- now i remember finding this really annoying when it came out and it was because I, I love that so it mix a lot song obviously so the sample was kind of you know but and there is actually footage of me somewhere on the internet rapping this in its entirety the so mix a lot song <laughs> okay yeah listening back to this song now anaconda in in 2020 the verse is actually really good, especially when it when when it's just creeping up the din 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 din. It's actually she raps really really well. She has some killer lines in it. I still think the hook is fucking horrible and annoying. Mm. But now would be a good time to talk about how Cardi B is a pale fucking imitation of Nicki Minaj and has bitten her style again and again, despite having a tenth of the talent if she's lucky. Even including this latest video that's come out that has swept the the world in 2020. Wet Ass Pussy, WAP, which is just an imitation of this Anaconda video. Because when this Anaconda video came out, there was a similar furor of how overly sexualized it was. And it is very sexualized. This is a crazy sexy video to the point where she's giving Drake a lap dance in the video. I mean, what are you expecting? But it's got the celebrity cameos. It's got the scandalized outrage, all that stuff. By the way, all this outrage that you hear about, like, oh, people are offended by W, they're not. It's all manufactured by record labels. If you bought into it, you're a sucker, you got played by like a puppet, you're an idiot. No one finds this offensive, but it's because if people find it controversial, they'll go watch it and spend more money on it. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a, that's an old trick that music industry has done for a, for a long time. You know what I mean? I mean, you just use we stay in the genre of hip hop, like N.W.A. You know, fuck the police was. Um, uh, the FBI sent them a cease and desist letter and they used that and was just like, oh, look at it, you know, like, look how controversial it is. And MTV wouldn't play the videos, thus making people want to go out and seek their music. So, yeah, and you know what, I, I'm in, a, in agreement with you. When Anaconda first came out, it was kind of like, oh, what is this, you know? And and it was, are they making fun of, you know, sure, mix a lot. And I thought it was kind of uh, annoying and repetitive, but now that time has passed, it's become kind of a kind of a classic, and I think it is Nikki's biggest song, right? Like her 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 uh, her mainstay, like her signature song. Listening to it now, it's just it is kind of good. Um, uh, may I uh, may I say, good old fashioned fun? You know, <laughs> <laughs> if this is good new fashioned fun for sure. Um, like, some of the lines are great, like, pussy put his ass to sleep, he called me NyQuil. That's just good stuff, man. Like, you know, people are like, oh, women rapping like this. Like, she's not doing anything that the Ying Yang twins or David Banner haven't done before her. Like, she's doing this perverse, grotesque 
sex rap, but yeah, so do a lot of men, and they don't get any flack for it. So it's all manufactured outrage. Don't buy into the hype. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you: Do you think women get a, a more, uh, more, a lot more criticized than men when it comes to um, you know, talking about sexuality and music? Yeah, for yeah, for sure. But that's why I say it's ridiculous. Like this, this outrage is who's who's being outraged here? Because mm. did they listen to fucking David Banner's play where he talks about chewing on a girl's clit? You know. Yeah. It's ridiculous, and lots of female rappers in the past have had quite, you know, grotesque lyrics. Mm-hmm. A rapper like Cupcake, with her songs, are revolting to listen to. But that's okay, because you know what? There are men that have songs like that too. I'm gonna beat that pussy up. I don't think it's. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But yeah, like obviously women are gonna get an unfair catch, unfair flag, and they have been since Madonna was talking about getting on her knees like a prayer. Mm. This is like the pop section of the album, uh, and I've mentioned it a couple times during the episode. But this album is so compartmentalized. You got the next song, "The Night Is Still Young." This is like, okay, now we're gonna do some EDM songs for the youngins, yeah, right? Yeah, dude. What the fuck? Yeah. You have the mellow tracks at the start, mellow down tempo tracks. Then you have the big feminist icon songs with Ariana and Beyonce. Then you have the hood tracks. Then you have the poppy songs. And now that you're in the EDM section, it's like when she's putting the album together, she clicked sort by genre and then just printed it out like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now that you uh, uh, put it into perspective like that, it's so obvious right i didn't even think about that like yeah the two ariana uh, ariana grande song and then beyonce songs are right next to each other and, and all that yeah i mean with this song the night is still young dude i thought this was this is the weakest song on the album i felt this song was designed for university kids on spring break right i mean pedro what is the name of the label it's cash money. Yeah, it might be sat- more satisfying if she did a bunch of mellow, heartfelt songs when she sings. Guess what makes more money? Doing this. Yeah. And she's worth about $100 million more than me, so who am I to talk? Yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. I thought I thought the song was pretty soulless. It was just designed like in a lab for young college kids on their first night drinking, you know what I mean? Same with the next one, Pills and Potions. Mm. And I'll say this, her rapping on every single... Like, this would be a shit track that I've heard someone release you know like ariana grande could release this or dua lipa could release this or someone like that would release this but her rapping always elevates a pretty mediocre song right with pills and potion i didn't, I don't mind it i i, I maybe maybe i'm falling into the trap of, of what she's uh setting up but i i thought it was fine i thought the composition of the hook was well done um i thought it was catchy and um yeah the, her rap does um elevate the track as well finishing off this d'angelo album with betray my heart a nice sweet jazzy love song it just flows along with the melody wonderfully He's doing a bit of scatting here that I really like, and it adds to the jazz flavor. I know you don't, you weren't crazy about the falsetto, but when he gets really high here, I like it. When he gets towards the towards the chorus, uh, it's super nice. Yeah, I thought this was the best mix track, and because of that, um, with his singing style with the falsetto, I was able to hear what he was saying actually. So you see, like it's it's 
D'Angelo's not bad. Like, the, the, he's not a bad singer at all. It's just sometimes he, I feel like he gets drowned out by the instrumentals or uh, or the or, or the music that's being played in the background. So, like earlier on the on the album, like it was just so hard for me to hear or understand what he was saying. But when it's stripped back and he's able to just um, belt out. Um, he really shines. So yeah, I thought this was the best track on the album. Really? Yeah, I did. I I, I thought so. Because and this was followed by the door, which I think was the weakest track on the album. I still think it's a banger, but listening back, I think it was just fine. But I think he really finishes it strongly with another life. It's a big sweeping song, and this is the first time that I've sort of you sort of really notice that there are other people on the on the track. Really, like it's a big almost a choral gospel finisher. With a lot of instrumentation, it's very lush. Um, I thought it was a it's a wonderful way to finish the album. Yeah, yeah. I it's it's weird that you say that because I wrote exactly that in my notes. A strong finisher. I like the song. I like the vibe. Um, I would definitely out of all the tracks on this album, I would definitely pull this one out and put this on my personal playlist. I would definitely play this for people in a in a party or just out. Everything else is it's fine but this was a standout for me it's funny because he alternates between these very highly charged political songs and they these songs where he's singing to a girl like it is a mismatch and you can tell it's been a long writing process when he was in different phases of his life after a breakup after having a kid after you know hearing about Trayvon Martin and stuff there's this definitely a huge uh, breakup of of his his life. This is fourteen years condensed into an album that is shorter than the Pink Print. Mm, yeah, definitely. So yeah, you can understand why it might not sound as cohesive as something else. After we we sort of get through the EDM bangers on Nicki Minaj's <laughs> album, she finishes by singing with grand piano. And look, like I can't judge vocals. I can't sing at all. I think I'm tone deaf. And she's not probably the most talented, classically trained singer. But I have a lot of respect for her for actually singing on this album because a lot of female rappers just feel like they don't have to sing or they shouldn't sing. Mm-hmm. So she shows the variety. She's not letting herself be pigeonholed. Um, so I thought this was like a – it's a nice closer. It was just an overly long album, but I appreciated what she was trying to do. Yeah, like I said before, I'm not a massive fan of her singing. Um, and she's not a bad singer. She's not terrible. I'd rather hear her rap, to be honest. I mean, it isn't the best version of her singing. So I thought it was kind of less than average. I mean, I thought it was kind of uh, forgettable. Um, And she could have closed the the album with with a better track. Let's take it to the breakdown. Pedro Duran, it falls upon you to try to explain yourself and yes. try to tell me why you didn't love this album as much as me, this critically acclaimed album, <laughs> uh, Black Messiah. Yeah. And an album that was much more commercially successful, The Pink Print. What did you think of, of both these albums and why were they both successful in their own ways? Yeah, that's, uh, well, we're, we're, with uh, D'Angelo's Black Messiah, I think it's the whole vibe i think if you're a fan of the angelo you're gonna be a fan of the angelo you know like yourself you're gonna really love what he does I, i'm not saying he and he's not a terrible singer at all he's super talented you i respect him because he's a real artist he goes in there and writes all his music and he's really into the studio and things like that um just for me a big criticism is sometimes it's just really hard for me to understand what he's saying because with his singing style once the instruments take over I kind of tune out and I'm not really paying attention to what he's saying, which is unfortunate because he has a really 
strong message on this album. Uh, with Nikki, I mean, Nikki's a brand. I, I think that's a that's a big aspect of it. The album is designed to make cash money, as the record label is named. Her, her sex appeal is a, it's another aspect of it as well. So, but I mean, but of course, she is super talented. So, um, all these things uh, come into play. Yeah, I, like you've said it so beautifully. There, she is a brand, and she's worth money. So, this is a product, very much so. Whereas, as opposed to D'Angelo pushing this out because he believed it was a message that needed to be shared at that point in time. And he is an artist that will wait 14 years, despite probably, you know, needing money and needing to support himself and all that. He'll wait 14 years until it's right or he feels the time is right. Whereas Nikki is just pumping these hits out, mm. you know, one after the other. She, you know, she, and she's since this album, she's continued to pump out songs every year that have topped the charts. So I can understand both being successful. I think you will come around to Black Messiah one day. I think. Not right now. You just weren't in the headspace for it. You weren't in the mood. Yeah. I forgive you, Pedro. I forgive you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Just very much like a black messiah. You forgive me for my sins. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, my lord. No, no. I understand because it is very distorted and textured and there's a lot going on. But you don't be afraid to give it a listen on a Sunday Arvo. Just just one more time. It might surprise you. I was surprised by how much I liked this Nicki Minaj album. Mm. I, I didn't love all of it. Even Super Bass and Starships and Pound the Alarm and stuff like can be obnoxious. But they're still enjoyable songs, you know? And I think she's a wonderful rapper. One of the best verses of all time on Monster. Mm. Often weeks we have like... Uh, where I'm dreading it, I'm like, oh, fucking, I'm going to have to listen to the Sheryl Crow album. Or, fuck, i got to listen to Smash Mouth. I didn't have that this week. I was looking forward to it, and it, I was obviously surprised at how much I like Nikki, and I knew I got to listen to Black Messiah, so I was fucking chuffed all week. Yeah, definitely. Pedro, you know what to do. Choose a song from both albums. Yeah, uh, let's see. I, I'm going to start off with Nikki. Um, with Nikki's album, The Pink Print. I always have a tough time saying the pink print. There you go. Um, I'm gonna choose only. I, I just I just like that track. I, I love when she's rapping. It's Drake, Lil Wayne, Chris Brown. It's just a Young Money click song, and um, it has references to Analingas. So we can all appreciate that, and that's a song to share with the folks as well. And then off the Angels, Black Messiah. Oh, you know, I know what I'm going to choose. I am going to choose Another Life. Like I said, I thought it was a strong finisher. I like the vibe. I like the song. Um, I thought Questlove's drumming was on point. Um, and like I was saying earlier, if, the, if this this would be a song that I would I would play in front of people and be like, oh, yeah, this is a song I, I was feeling. What do you guys think? So, yeah, Another Life. I was looking up. Um, lyrics to my favorite song on Black Messiah, A Thousand Deaths. And it just came up with a bunch of articles about COVID, so it sort of bummed me out oh, a little bit. Great. But man, I, I love A Thousand Deaths. Maybe your least favorite song on the album, but man, I love A Thousand Deaths. One of my favorite mm. songs. I just love I love the samples mm. on it and the, me- the message of from the perspective of a soldier and they're going to send him over the hill and he's scared to die. Good times. As for Nikki's album... This one's tough because I enjoyed so many. I really enjoyed the track with Jesse Ware on it, The Crying Game. But if I have to pick a favorite song off the album, you know what? I'm going to go with the Enya-inspired wow. track, I Lied, because I just, I didn't, 
see it coming at all, and I can totally get it, and respect for her for even knowing who the fuck Enya is. I didn't expect <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. I didn't expect that from you, Nikki, and uh, I appreciate that. This was a good week, man. Yeah. We usually have shit albums, but this is a rare treat for us. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I, uh, this was a week where uh, it was. I was not dreading it. You know. Um, so yeah, um, it was really. Let's good. do it again next week, my man. All right. Peace. See ya.